0: Welcome to Board Game Impact. In today's episode, Josh and I talk about games we've been playing recently, as well as talk through even more Kickstarters that are really exciting, and then share some really phenomenal news for you about the board game industry that you're definitely not going to want to miss towards the end of the episode. Stay tuned. Welcome to Board Game Impact. If this is your first time visiting Board Game Impact, we want to welcome you. So what we seek to do here is to combine our passion for board games with our... Uh, We both work in education, and so we're bringing a research focus to the work that we do for your benefit, so that way you can make informed decisions based on what we're playing, what we're seeing, for the benefit of your gaming group. My name is Bruce Brown, and I'm joined with
1: Josh Isringhausen.
0: And together we're Board Game Impact, and so uh, we got a little bit in store for you today. I'll be honest; it's going to be a little different. Josh and I just talked about this a second ago, because, like I just mentioned, we both work in education, um, in higher education, at different universities, and. Uh, when recording this right now, it's the end of April. And uh, guess what? There's a lot going on on college campuses at the end of April. Um, and so that being said, we're actually going to be splitting. So if you this is not your first time, sometimes we do a full segment on games we've been playing, and then another segment on Kickstarters or a deep dive into a game. And what we're actually going to be doing is combining those two things. Um, and so I'm actually going to be talking about some Kickstarters that are going on that we haven't talked about. And Josh is going to be sharing about some games that he's been playing. That being said, I am gonna get us kicked off with a non-Kickstarter, but it's a game I have played and I'm very excited for it to finally hit the market almost seven months after I first played it. And that is Planet by Blue Orange Games. So Planet is a game that's very different than other games in which, think of a Rubik's Cube holding in your hand, but instead of that, it's like a ball. And what you're doing is it's a magnetic ball. And throughout the game, you're going to be picking up different tiles and adding them to this ball to literally make your planet. And then you're going to be scoring different animals that are going to be splayed out in front of all the players uh, for the different types of characteristics of the planet that you've got in your hands. So you got the whole world in your hand. And yeah, couldn't help but go there. But what's cool about it is it'll say like, oh, if you want to have the meerkat, you've got to have the most grasslands that are not touching the Arctic. Um, and so you count up the little triangles on your ball um, and it's going to get more and more and more of these little pieces as you go. It's a very, very quick game, like less than a half hour. It's just a nice little puzzle. Um, but I played this at BGGCon in the fall and they had brought it over from Essen, uh, which is a big games fair in Germany. In Essen, Germany, that's why it's called Essen. Technically, it's called Spiel. And this game, I've been waiting and waiting for it to come out in the U.S., and it finally has, and that is because of Earth Day. Um, so Earth Day is April 22nd, and so now you can go out to the stores and get this little ball of fun. Uh, Josh, I forget, were you there when we were playing this game?
1: I got there the day after you all were playing that game. You, I heard you all talk about it a lot, and it was something that I had wanted to kind of pick up and try, but... I think that was one of those games that just was never back on the shelf after you all put it away. Uh, I did see it on the floor of the convention hall quite a bit being played, and it looks really cool. Just kind of walking by, it's definitely one of those eye-catchers. If you're playing it in public or see people playing it in public, it's one of those you can't really help but like stare over people's shoulders and, and puzzle about what's going on and what's happening because it definitely looks really interesting really unique
0: yeah you cannot miss it like seriously it's you're holding a ball a planet in your hand and you're actually constantly flipping it over to see and think of where you could place things because you're not allowed to try and line up pieces before you put them on you have to strategically think, which piece am I going to pick up? Um, and so Blue Orange games typically make some lighter weight games. Often, it's kind of a, more of a family-style line of games. And I would say this definitely fits into that. Um, but you, so you can play it with your family. You can Go simple for like kids. You can like dumb down some of the rules, even though there isn't really many many rules to begin with. It's like a one-page sheet that's on the back sides in a different language. So it's very easy to approach. But the puzzle was challenging enough that it was a nice little exercise for all of us adults, too. And Josh is right. So how the conventions work, so BGG, Con, and Spring. Uh, Spring's happening in May, so there are a couple tickets available still. Do grab that, because I will be there, and we can play games. Um, But how it works is you check out games like a library card. And so this was a brand new game. And so it could only be checked out for a maximum of four hours. And I believe they had either two or three copies. And it was never back in the library. That thing was never back in the library. And when it was, it essentially just got handed off to somebody else. So that's Planet. Um, Go check that out. I haven't found exactly where you can get it. I know you can get it online, um, but it should be hitting most stores that you can buy games in in your local area because Blue Orange does typically produce on a larger scale. Okay, Josh, what do you have for us?
1: So, unlike Bruce, uh, this weekend was actually a pretty game-heavy weekend for me. I work for a... Uh, Catholic University, so they were kind enough to give me a full five days off this weekend for me to game to my heart's content. So the first game that I have with with me to talk about today is actually a game that came onto my radar around the same time as Planet did for you, Bruce, and that is the game Cryptid by Osprey Games. So Cryptid came out roughly around the time, uh, late fall of 2018, and I had heard about it just after BGGCon. I had heard some folks talking about their experience playing it at the convention and how much fun they had. It sounded like a really interesting game, and so I went ahead and I bought it, and it's actually sat on my shelf of shame, unopened and untouched, since probably November until this weekend, it finally hit the table and hit the table hard. We went, it went from having zero plays to six plays in this weekend alone. It is a lighter game, pretty relatively quick between 30 minutes to 45 minutes for a playthrough. The way cryptid works is you have six boards of hexagons and or with Each board has a bunch of different hexagons on it set up in all different configurations. And you have a card that tells you how to set up these six boards and then some additional buildings. So there's triangle meeples that are representative of abandoned shacks or a octagon meeple that's representative of a standing stone. The idea is each person is given a clue book. And based off the way the board is set up in the beginning of the game, each person has a single clue out of their clue book that they look at. That is all of the information you have to start the game.
0: Hmm.
1: Combined, all of the clues that have been given out point to a single location on the board. And just one location meets all of those clues. And players take turn, then, in turn order, asking one player, could your, could the cryptid, in this case, it's the game is cryptid, you are searching for a, a Loch Ness monster or Bigfoot. Bear, Bigfoot type of monster, you ask, could the cryptid be on this space? And they must answer yes or no and going around the board people will put out little discs or little cubes to signify yes the monster could be here or no the monster could not be here
0: hmm.
1: based off of that information you're gathering you begin to get a picture about what people's clues might be then you can go and search so once you think you know where the cryptid could be you can go ahead and search in a specific location and it goes around the board until somebody says no. If someone says no, it your turn passes, it goes to the next player and it continues on. If everyone says yes, the cryptid could be there. Congratulations. You have won by finding the location on the board. Really light it it sounds a little complicated when you're setting it up and explaining it to people, but once you start playing it really it clicked with everybody we played with relatively quickly. It, like I said, played in about 30, 45 minutes. I actually played them, played it three times at dinner parties this weekend with people who don't normally game all that much, and they had a really good time with it. Pretty quick, easy little pickup game. Uh, It creates a lot of really fun conversation and dialogue, and it's a little bit of an interesting puzzle as you're kind of sorting out, okay, you said yes to this location, but no to this location, so... You've just completely thrown me off what I thought I knew. Really, really highly recommend it. It's a fun, lighter-weight game to pick up. You can it plays up to five players. I think it plays really, really well at that four- to five-player range. I haven't played it with less people, so I'm not sure how it would work scaling. I think two might be a little bit more challenging, but definitely go and check this out if, if you have... Um, Some people who you like to play games with who may not always be down for something heavier, but it, it definitely has the puzzly aspect that I think scratches the gamer itch while still being accessible to people who may not be as as big into board games.
0: Okay, so um, I'm noticing a trend with us. Right off the bat, we had two puzzly things. Um, but I have a couple follow-up questions for you, Josh. So I know in some games where there's, like, hidden information, there's sometimes a person who has to take on the role of, like, the arbiter, like, checking. Do, does someone have to take on that role with this game?
1: No. There, there, it is written into the rules, essentially, You must be honest with all of your answers. So your hidden information is not something that you're trying to keep. You want to keep it secret, right? If you are, when you're asking questions, you may want to throw off other people about what you may potentially have in your, as your rule so that they don't figure you out. But there's really no need for an arbiter of the rules or anything like that. You, you just, you have one clue and you follow that clue. And really, that's all that it uh, all that it comes down to.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like it would be better at those higher play counts. Because do you get more information as a player if you're playing it at a lower player player counts? So like when you played it at four versus five, did you personally have more information? No. So like I said,
1: no matter where you play this, what your player count is, or how many pe- people you have, no matter what the setup looks like, you have one clue. Oh wow! That's the only information that you really have. Okay. So it it all just kind of depends on what that one clue is.
0: And Josh, you and I had talked before recording last time that your game group tends to be a game group that likes to play the same things they've already learned, which is fine. Like, let's just like burn through. I actually saw somebody celebrating on Reddit just a couple days ago that they were celebrating their 600th game of Battlestar playing Battlestar Galactica. Wow. 600 times. And that's like a two to three hour game. So, but like they love it, and they all know it in that game group, and they just like burn through. But you just got them to play a new game. And so I'm curious what were some things that kind of helped that happen?
1: So I think a big thing, one of the one of the interesting things or nice things about my game group is if you get people one on one or or three on one, The way this happened is we had a couple over. um, My fiancé and I had a couple over who are friends from that game group for dinner, and we were sitting around waiting for dinner to be ready. We've got 30 minutes before we have to eat, so here's a quick game. I can teach it, and we can play it before dinner will be done. And so once I got a couple people to play it, bringing out to the next game night, which was actually the next night, they were interested in playing again. And so we were able to, once one person has that itch, it's really easy, I think, to get other people back into it. It's just a matter of breaking it onto the table. It's kind of hard to do that when you have these established game nights where there's a lot of people and a lot of choices and no one really wants to make the decision. So I think having it in a situation where, I really didn't give a whole lot of choice. I was like, Hey, let's just do this. And, and they could have said no, but, Would have seemed a little rude, maybe. So they just were in your house and they really enjoyed it. So, (laughs)
0: okay. So I'm hearing separate the herd. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, but that sounds great. And I just wanted to bring that up because I know you and I have talked about like how can we introduce new games because you and I tend to play a lot of newer games as well as older games, but we tend to play a lot of games. um, And so, so, but sometimes it can be hard to introduce some new games. That's why I was curious. So, Um, Josh, I'll be honest, this next one, I don't really have much to say for it, except for the fact that you didn't really talk about it in the last episode, and I know this game means a lot to you, and this is for a Kickstarter that's out right now, um, and it'll be available for when this goes live, so if you're hearing this when this goes live, do check on there for that, Um, but Josh, can you please tell the listeners about Anachrony, Fractures of Time Expansion, and The Infinity Box from Mind Clash Games?
1: Absolutely. So I have not really talked much about Mind Clash Games on this podcast, which is really interesting because I would put them up there with Stonemaier Games as my favorite publishers. I don't think Mind Clash Game has made a bad game that I am aware of. Well, they haven't. There are three games they've made, and all three of them, in my opinion, have been home runs. Anachrony is my favorite of those three. So their other two games are Cerebria, which recently came out at the end of 2018, and Tricarion, which is a little bit older of a game, uh, came out, I believe, in 2015, if I'm remembering correctly. Anachrony, I... Can't really go into the full depths and details here because that would be an hour-long conversation. It Just is, for the rules, yep. It is a really, really deep, challenging, thinky worker placement game. What is unique about Anachrony is that it is, that it is a worker placement game which involves time travel. You live in a world where time travel is is possible a catastrophe is coming to the world that you are aware of and you are trying to get through the manipulation of time and sending resources back to yourself and then making them available for yourself in the future you are trying to prepare your civilization to leave the world before the catastrophe comes and hits really really phenomenal game design. This is easily in my top 3 games of all time. I absolutely love this game.
0: Surprisingly, the, yeah, just want to put the, that yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say surprisingly like my wife has played this and she really enjoys it, but man, she was exhausted when she finished.
1: It is it is a crun- it is crunchy, it is really heavy. It makes you think a lot. It is a difficult game to comprehend all of the strategy. And I've played it several times. I don't know that I know all of the strategy, really. Um, What is interesting about this game is this game came with three different modules in the box. I've actually played with none of the modules, Hmm. though I've heard really good things it's because it is so difficult to learn and I have yet to play it repeatedly with people who have also played it several times and so no one's felt comfortable enough bringing these out that being said I did back this kickstarter or the kickstarter for the expansion because my goal will be to find a group of people to play this frequently more frequently with because it is Like I said, one of my favorite games, hands down. So the expansion that they're advertising here, the reason I didn't bring this up last episode when we talked about all of these great Kickstarters is because I knew it was coming. They had announced they were going to do an Anachrony expansion sometime in mid-2019. They didn't really say when. So it had not been announced the date that it would be releasing uh, during our last episode when we were recording our last episode, and so I'm glad you're bringing this up now and giving me a chance to rant and rave about how much I love this game, Bruce. Um, well, but, I didn't well, want to have
0: in- a uh, anarchy on my hands. I just wanted anachrony.
1: Anachrony. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, Bruce. Yep. Um, so the expansion they're offering here adds some interesting mechanics that I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to. So one, it adds a new uh, path. So the different factions you can control in the game are called paths. So it's a new faction, uh, which looks definitely interesting. They are unity, so they're fighting more for to reunite people. What looks interesting about this is that the the new mechanic that they are relying on is a new resource as well as a new worker type, which allows you to what they're calling blink your worker placement. So after you've placed your workers on the board, if you utilize this new resource, then you can move that worker to another place so essentially the worker is taking two actions on one turn through the use of time manipulation looks like a really neat um mechanic that i've not seen uh, in a lot of worker placement games so i'm interested to see kind of how this functions
0: yeah and then Again, it, it's also adding in a solo mode right or they it. are
1: improving their solo mode. Um, they revised their solo mode. I've not played the solo mode of this game, though I've heard not great things about it, which is why I've shied away. But they are redoing their chrono, uh, their solo mode, which they call the Chronobot. Um, it it looks. Much more interesting, I think, than the the initial solo mode did. So the storyline is a little bit more interesting to me. So in this solo mode, it looks like you are trying to not just get off of the planet, but also rebuild the planet after this catastrophe. So there's some more kind of long-term consequences for the actions you take, which I think is is kind of a neat way to go about doing that. Highly recommend people to look at this. I will say, if you don't already have the base game of Anachrony, it is a bit of a price point to get up there. So the Kickstarter, they're offering what they call the Infinity Box, which includes all of the expansions released up to date. For anachrony, so that is the base game, the Fractures of Time expansion that they're doing right now, the modules, so Doomsday, Pioneers, and Guardians modules, as well as these really nice-looking miniatures that they um, released during their first Kickstarter as a, as a, add-on. So that all comes for one hundred and fifty dollars. That is a pretty steep price point, but again, in my opinion, this is one of my favorite games, well worth it to me. If you already own Anachrony, the actual expansion itself is only $45, a little bit more reasonable. I actually did the $60 pledge, which gets you not only the expansion, but also a new box mm. and a plastic tray to make everything from the base game and the expansions and the miniatures all fit in one box. Oh, that'll be good. I'm a sucker for that type of stuff. I don't have a lot of shelf space, so anytime I can collapse down into a single box is always going to be preferable for me. I'll always throw a little bit more money to, to have that opportunity.
0: Yeah, this sounds great. So So, yeah, check it out.
1: If you get a chance to check it out, listener, highly, highly encourage you to do so. It is a longer, more difficult to learn game, but I think
0: incredibly rewarding. Yeah, it sounds like you'll really be rewarded though, because you're making like meaningful decisions. So I've got another space one for us, Um, and so we're gonna be looking a little. Like So now we've taken off from the planet, and so now let's go to Mars. Um, we talked a little bit about this. I did not realize, I don't think, Josh, you realized either how much was going to be going on in this Kickstarter. Um, so this is Terraforming Mars, um, their first Kickstarter for Terraforming Mars, um, by, made by Stronghold Games and Indie Games Studio. Terraforming Mars, super popular game. It's been around for several years now. It was actually nominated um, and is a runner-up for the Kenner Spiel des CRS, which is the German, like, Gamer Game of the Year Awards. Um, So what Terraforming Mars is, it's... And we would consider like an engine building game of you're taking uh, cards from your hand, you're picking one, you're passing them to the player uh, next to you, and then you're going to assemble your hand by doing that again and again and again through drafting. And then you're going to start making a engine in front of you, either by playing events like crashing a asteroid into the planet or uh, sending some colonists to different areas or my favorite card pets um, and having pets start being on the on the planet or building cities or making forests or putting down lakes because you're trying to get it to be hospitable um, and a place where people can live and so the game will end once you increase the oxygen, increase the heat um, and just really make it a much better planet Um, but they don't really care that you nuked part of it or things like that like not a problem Starforming Mars like I said it's been super popular like extremely popular Uh, Stronghold Games is just doing a phenomenal job with this and they keep Turning out content. Now, the thing with the content they've been turning out, so they've got Turmoil. This is Turmoil. Um, They've also got Prelude. uh, Then they've got Hellas and Elysium, which is our two new boards that are older. Um, Venus Next brings in that and Colonies. So all these different expansions that they've had over time is kind of unique. When sometimes when people talk about expansions, it's like, oh, what expansion do you want to play with for this time? Terraforming Mars, everyone I know, keeps all the expansions in the game while they play because it all makes the game that much better. So every single time, people are enjoying the game more and more and more. It should be no surprise that there's over 16,000 backers for this Kickstarter in the last week, um, which is just phenomenal, and congratulations, Stronghold Games, on all the success with this. But what this is adding in is, so at the start of the game, you pick up uh, a hand of cards, like two or three cards, depending on what variant you're using, and you choose a starting corporation, which is essentially what unique powers or what, like very minuscule powers, slightly asymmetric. So what's starting money or like slightly specific power that you have to start the game that other people don't. Because it's corporations, of course, not governments going out there and settling Mars. But... So you get five new corporation cards. You get uh, some reference cards, which are nice, because sometimes the symbols on the game, like, you don't want to really look across, but this game adds, this expansion adds in some new content that has new symbols. Um, you get a, a terraformer a milestone tile, which is something that some people have been asking for. 16 new project cards. Those are the cards you pass around. But the really cool thing about this is that it essentially adds in, like... a like a government to the whole process. So you're no longer independent because sometimes terraforming Mars can feel like I'm playing a solo game that I'm passing cards and so like that's the interaction and then competing for spaces on the board. But you can really have your engine you're focusing down in front of you on. But this adds in events, like actual events. Um, so there's an event board, a global event board that are going to change things by events coming up and everybody having to interact with them as well as a terraforming committee. Uh, And it looks like a little Senate chamber. And you've actually got 35 delegates, um, seven in each of the colors, so blue, green, red, black, and yellow, and some neutral delegates as well. And you're going to be lobbying for different policies that can then get you more points or make things easier for you to do. And that is just a really, really cool thing. Um, And then the other thing, uh, this is a special just for... Um, Kickstarter, this is just for Kickstarter, um, but they have been adding in promos every day. They're adding on new promos for people to be able to see, and so just go on there, check what they got. But the thing that most people are going to want this for is the dual-layer player board because Terraforming Mars is notorious for having a underdeveloped player board um, by today's standards. Now, I love the game. I've played it a ton, But the player board as it exists has always needed to be dual layered Um, and people go out and buy special broken token overlays or they buy um, different things from Zen bins or you name the company that are putting these out because here's the deal how you track your engine and how it's performing like critical to how your whole thing works is this board and you put a cube on six different spots that are essentially marking your engine and how well it's doing. And then you have other cubes that look exactly the same, tracking how much is going on and how much income you have, how many resources you've developed. And so the struggle it has been that if someone just like hits the table, you have no idea where you left off. And you're kind of in a bind. And so having these dual-layer boards are awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you, uh, Stronghold Games, for putting this in here because it's something that players have wanted and needed, but they haven't been really making the base game. like They've been making these expansions. And so to have this for the first Kickstarter, heck yes, this is being good for gamers, good for the hobby, um, and good for all the fans. Um, Josh, what are your thoughts on this thing? Because there's a lot going on. Yeah,
1: so this was actually a Kickstarter that I was uh, initially planning to sit out on. I love this game. We've Bruce and I have played this game a ton together. We've played it a ton separate. It's constantly hitting the table with every game group that I have. Really, really fantastic game. I was going to sit out on it because it didn't look like they were going to be making a whole lot of extra content for the Kickstarter until they announced it. And when they announced it and they said, we are going to release a new card every day that will only be available in the Kickstarter, it, they kind of won me over there. Um, so their the way their promos worked was rather than having, like most Kickstarters do, a promo for... Kickstarter exclusive for every dollar amount they hit. Um, they decided to go with a different way of doing it, which was we're just going to do one promo card per day that the Kickstarter runs. Kind of an interesting way of doing it, an interesting mm-hmm. way of going about it. It keeps people engaged in the in the Kickstarter throughout the entire time it's running. I think it was probably smart on them to do that because had they set goals For funding, this is a game that set a $20,000 pledge goal. Yep. After $20,000, it would be successfully funded. They are at $768,000 with nine days left to go. Yep. They would have blown every conceivable uh, backer tier. Out of the water they would not have been able to do promos and kept up with the dollar traditional dollar amount unlocks new content system so i think that was a really good way smart way of them to kind of establish some expectations going into this and you know they got me to pre-order which you know good on them for doing it the dual player boards Fantastic news for everybody out there who has struggled with a table being bumped during their game of Terraforming Mars. I uh, personally got a broken token insert. Uh, I paid $60 at BGGCon three years ago for it to upgrade mine and not have that issue specifically occur. So... That is less of a of a pull for me, but I'm really happy for everybody else who, who's had that issue because it definitely has been an issue for a while. I think this is the most interesting looking expansion that they've done for this game. Each other expansion that they've come out with has kind of been a little... Yeah, this is kind of nice. It adds some flexibility, some variability in how you play the game and a little bit of changes in the dynamics of the way you set up the game or the way you interact with other players or things like that. But it's never really been earth-shattering or really dramatically making a change to the game. I think this this system of having the delegates and trying to form a coalition government and enact policies for the planet looks to be the most intricate, the most interesting and like the most fun expansion that they've come out with yet. So I'm really, really excited about this one. Cannot wait for November. Let's hope, I have no doubt they'll be able to keep that, but let's hope that they keep that November yep. timeline. Um, maybe we'll be picking this up at, at BGGCon and giving it a playthrough there.
0: Yeah, and so I do need to clarify something, Josh, um, and that is, and this, just to make listeners clear, because I've heard Stephen Bonacore, who is the president of Stronghold Games and essentially the rep for Indie Game Studios for the whole shebang. Um, if you notice, it does not say Kickstarter promo. So what they're doing so because he doesn't, he doesn't believe and, and rightfully I kind of agree with him on this they do not agree with Kickstarter promos, because there's going to be a very like, a distinct difference because you do a Kickstarter like once, right? The thing is, though, and this is like the special thing for backers. The thing is though, they want this content to not only be made for just now, like they want other people to be able to play with this stuff. However, this is the only time you're ever going to get it all together you're going to have to piecemeal all of it. And so they might give like one of those cards that's already been unlocked away at a convention. You're not going to get all of them, or you're going to have to really try hard to find these uh, player boards, things like that. But so they are not Kickstarter exclusives, but you're going to be getting all of them here, which is not going to be your case for other times. Um, And so you might be thinking, but Bruce, you said like everyone typically plays with like all the expansions in it. You don't have to do that. Josh, like Josh said, it's, It's a game where these expansions add in nice flavor, but it's not necessarily required. I think some of the reason why we keep playing with all the expansions is because it's actually really hard to also separate out all the cards, (laughs) just to call that. Um, And so you can back this just for this expansion, and that'll run $34, but there's a ton in it. Um, You can also just get the base game if you don't have it, as well as Terraforming Mars Turmoil, this expansion, that will run 79. If you have a copy of Terraforming Mars but haven't gotten any of those expansions, you can get all of the game, all of the expansions for 94. And then if you don't have any of this stuff and you're like, ooh, this sounds like a really cool game, I'm interested in space, I like engine building, I like card drafting, I like this kind of new mechanic of having these global trades going on, these global events, um, then you can go all in for all of the expansions. They'll send it all to your house. Um, estimated delivery in November for 139, for all of it. That's actually a really good deal for all of that stuff, plus all these, expan- these uh, bonus content. So that's really cool. Uh, but again, that is Terraforming Mars Turmoil. <sighs> that is It's really cool. Um, and congrats, Stronghold, for all the success on this. Okay, Josh, um, how about we got one more time for one more quick one?
1: Absolutely. So this is one I've been wanting to bring up for a while. Uh, just haven't had a chance to because it seems like every time we record, I haven't played it in, in a week or so. And that's Nussfjord. This is by Mayfair Games by another one of my really all-time favorite game designers, Uwe Rosenberg or Uwe, however you pronounce his first name. Anyway, Nussfjord is one of Uwe's lighter fare games, if you compare it to some of his other, other games that he's made. So for folks who aren't aware of who Uwe Rosenberg is, Really, really prolific designer makes a lot of really great Euro games. Uh, does a lot of really good thing, nice nice things with worker placement. So some of his really big hits have been games like Agricola, Caverna, A Feast for Odin. More recently, he came out with Reichelt, which was a uh, another lighter fare game. Mm-hmm. He's made some other really great games as well. But Nosefjord came out, I believe, in 2016, if I'm remembering correctly. Yep. 2017, sorry.
0: 2017.
1: Yep. And this is a game in which you are taking on wow. the role of the managing a fishing village in Scandinavia. And so you, each player has... Three little workers that you are placing out onto the board, um, taking actions to remove forest tokens to gain wood, building buildings from the board. Uh, You are buying ships to bring in more fish year to year. You're um, recruiting elders to come to your village. Elders will give you unique special abilities, you're serving fish to your elders. So in order to actually use your elders, there have to be fish available in the marketplace for them to eat. It's just a really kind of cute. It, it is thinky there. It is puzzly. It is. It's a Euro very, it, it is a Euro game. It is a Uwe Rosenberg. If, if, if nothing else designs Euro games, uh, if, if, If you are looking for something that really tells a story or really has a lot of heavy theme to it, not going to be your designer of choice. But for me, it is exactly the type of game that I want to play on a, a Friday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon. Doesn't take too long. This probably takes 45 to an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Relatively quick. I'm a big, big, big fan of this uh, game. So, Bruce, have you ever had a chance to play No Steward specifically or? Any of Uwe Rosenberg's other games?
0: Uh, Nusfjord? No, I have not. However, I have. I own Glass Road. I um, actually played that last August at Fantasy Flight Games up in Minnesota. And then with some of the guys that work at Fantasy Flight, that was crazy. Because um, it's kind of out of print right now. It's kind of in limbo. Phenomenal, phenomenal little game. Um, but I've also played Feast for Odin and some others. One of my favorite things about Uwe games... I don't know if you knew this, Josh... When you, next time you open up the rule book, look around, because there's little pictures of Ue all through it, like little drawings, and it's like, helpful tip for players. And it's like a most adorable little thing. Um, but I haven't gotten a chance to play this one, but it I'm actually seeing... So in Word you have these... It looks like these forests, right? Um, that go across these bigger pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's... I think, I think he got the inspiration from that from his earlier game, that was Glass Road, because in Glass Road, you're essentially trying to clear-cut your forest so then you can build more things. So it just looks like he just kept building on some of those ideas that he had already been working with. And then I also notice on the board, it's got the minus one points for the empty spots, which is exactly how Feast for Odin works, but Feast for Odin takes that and takes it to like infinity. Um, and so, yeah, so I have not gotten to play this one, but I am very familiar with UA's games. I've had a lot of fun with them. It's just usually, um, especially with some of the bigger ones like Feast for Odin and Agricola, there's just a lot to learn. And so it's nice to hear this one's a little lighter, um, and a little bit more approachable.
1: Yeah. I I will say one of the interesting things about UA's games and not all of them, right? I think you, Bruce, you may or may not... Did you ever get a chance to play one of his earlier games with us, um, Bonanza?
0: Oh, that's him?
1: Yeah, Uwe Rosenberg designed Bonanza. Uh,
0: I'm I fail, um, failing that. I didn't recognize that. But yeah, Bonanza, yes. absolutely. So
1: so that's a completely different game 100%. than a lot of what he's otherwise designed. I take but that game out say, as a party game. Yes, um, but... A lot of his other games are, I will say, very much have a tendency to just kind of build upon themselves. He really finds a mechanic, I think, and really hones in and develops that out a lot. So you'll see a lot of similarities between the games that he publishes, the games that he produces. So if you talk to a lot of people who have played a lot of his games, they'll say kind of Agricola, fell out of favor because Caverno basically just improved upon Agricola. Um, or there will be people who will say that now A Feast for Odin has replaced Caverna because it kind of expounded upon and, and improved upon that mechanic a little bit as well. I personally think there's a spot for a lot of his, most of his games at the table and, and Nosphere definitely follows that similar kind of pattern in terms of really honing in on certain concepts of worker placement. The, the competition for a limited number of action spaces, which creates tension between the players for who takes what action first. Actually, interestingly enough, a funny kind of side piece of this. Whenever we were most recently playing this, each player count has an its own unique setup, and we were playing a three-player game, and with about two turns left, we realized that we had actually been playing the entire game set up for two people. Yeah. So we were actually missing a lot of the worker placement spaces we should have been able to utilize in that game it made it were you super
0: constrained oh my Um, god
1: (laughs) really really restrictive in terms of the actions you had on your turn especially if you were going third that round yeah made for some really difficult decisions but it he he really his games i think really shine when you really have to completely change your whole plan because the one thing you thought you needed this round is gone. You can't take it. It's not an option for you anymore. And so now you have to kind of completely rework and rethink your whole strategy. And I really, really love his games. Can't recommend them enough. Look at really any of them, but I think No Spirit is a great place to get started if you are looking for maybe a lighter weight entry level type of euro game something similar to caverna or or a feast for odin without quite as much depth and detail to it
0: okay um yeah and so just wanted to touch upon something you said there because some people might be like what do you mean it was like like hurting and restrictive. So something about some Euro games is if you feel like you're pressed for choices and that people are swooping in and taking the choices you want and you have nothing and you feel like you are behind, you might be playing a Euro game um, because it's about making the right decisions at the right time and effectively running your engine for some of these things. And so making sure... The game's going to punish you for not doing that the right way um, for yourself. And so it's really, really cool. Euro games, you can really show your skill. Um, So that's a really cool thing about Euro games. It's less on luck. And so if you're looking for somewhere that puzzle or things like that, Eurogames games are a great thing to check out. And this sounds from everything Josh is saying, like this is a really cool one to check out. So go get fishy and go be um, go, go a fisherman in what, Scandinavia? Is that where it is, Josh?
1: Uh, yeah, I believe so.
0: Yeah, right about there. Okay, and so that is what we've got for this kind of unique um, Kickstarters and for games we've been playing lately. Um, but like I said, it's kind of a crazy time for us. And so um, we've got two quick news articles for y'all. And then we're going to kind of... Um, share some of the closing thoughts on things. And so the first one, um, so this first article comes from ICV2, um, which is icv2.com. And so that's a wonderful, wonderful geek website for news and articles you can become a premium member and get a lot more content but they also have a lot of free content out there and so you can click things for games comics um, show business etc i always click games of course Um, you can even look at sales numbers and so um, as a real quick um, we're going to get into some sales numbers here in a second but i wanted to let you know about a game that's previously been a deep dive for the show and that was um Choose Your Own Adventure series, which is put out by Z Man Games. So it's a really fun game. You can play solo, play as a group. I played with my wife just passing cards back and forth. It's super cheap. It's only like 22 bucks, but you get a lot of story. And they just announced that they are going to be putting out their next version of this. This classic Choose Your Own Adventure games from like book games from the 1980s and 1970s. And this one's going to be Choose Your Own Adventure. War with the Evil Power Master. It's going to be coming out this summer, and so it's going to have uh, 325 cards, the game board, a die, um, two tracking cubes, some signal boosters. I don't know what that's going to be about. Um, and so this one just looks kind of cool. It looks spacey slash also like vampire, um, and it looks like they're in the middle of the desert according to the art. But it's got like folky '80s art, original like D&D style art almost. So it's cool if you want to check that out. One of the other articles that's on here, Josh, and I did not cue you up for this one, but it's just mm-hmm. popping up, so I think it's important to talk about it because we're about to talk about, and that is that hobby game sales total 1.5 billion in 2018. Wow! Yes. Where
1: where was this from, Bruce? This
0: is ICB2. I'm gonna hold on. I'm gonna share it with you right now, listeners. You are hearing me do this live. <laughs> um, okay, I just put it in the Google Drive for you. So, hobby game sales in the U.S. and Canada have tallied $1.495 billion in 2018. Now, here's the thing, though. That is down 3% from a year ago this period. This decline was driven by a 14% decline in collectible games, mm. which is the only down category of all five.
1: So, I'm wondering where what they are defining in terms of hobby board games. So, I'm assuming by collectible games, they're probably looking at collectible Magic. trading cards yep. and miniatures games. So, I definitely can understand those are both huge markets that I I think may have seen some dip. But, yep. I, I mean... I know a lot of people who got into board gaming through things like Magic the Gathering or Warhammer. And so like myself, I actually sold a lot of my magic games, magic cards when I got into um, board gaming. So I'm kind of interested as to how they define these different Categories. Sure. So I've got games. I've got
0: all five categories for you. And I also started playing Magic when I was real little. Actually, when my family was in town, and I told you about playing Catan with them, um, they actually brought my Magic cards from New York. For some reason, she does this thing where she puts like all of the stuff she wants to bring down from New York in an extra suitcase because she's like it's cheaper <laughs> than shipping. I'm like I don't know if it works like that when it's a whole giant box of magic cards, but sure, love you, mom. Sure, yeah. Um, so they've got the categories: collectible games, and that was at 625 million. Um, non-collectible miniatures games brought in 285 million. Hobby board games were 370 million. Hobby card games and dice games at 150 million, and then role-playing games at 65 million.
1: And I'm seeing here the interesting thing to me is that that role-playing games actually saw a pretty substantial 18% jump. Yep. From 2017 to
0: 2018,
1: that's I did not anticipate seeing that at all. I think that may have something to do with the D&D online content Mm -hmm. that they've been putting out. Yeah. But that's really, really interesting. I had not realized this, Bruce.
0: Yeah. I did not expect to talk about this today. I literally just opened the other one, and surprise. um, Yeah, so hobby board games grew 7%. um, Non-collectible miniatures grew up from 7% or 7% as well and then hobby card and dice games were flat at 150 million but then Mm -hmm. like you said role playing games went really high and so if you yeah. want to want to know what, we mean, what they mean by hobby game just to clarify, um, there's a games produced for a gamer market in quotes. Um, games, although not always sold primarily uh, in the hobby channel of a game and card specialty store, hobby games market as the market for those games, regardless of whether they're sold in hobby game channel or, uh, or other channels. And th- those estimates include sales from the US and Canada. So this is just in the US and Canadas so North America, but I think this is super fascinating.
1: Yeah, this is really interesting, and I'm seeing here that they have an option for in-depth, but it looks like you need to have an account, which I unfortunately don't. But I will um, maybe look into that, because I'd be interested to see as well here if if they're including... uh, Let me see. Actually, it may say here, we also reviewed data released via public trade and Kickstarter data. So that was my question, was did this count? kickstarter money as well because Hmm. bruce and i think that's a perfect perfect transition for the news that i shared with you earlier this week which i did not see coming this one has been i think a long time in the making kickstarter announced earlier this week that there has been over a billion dollars pledge to games projects on Kickstarter. So wow. the way Kickstarter works for, for folks who aren't really aware is they, they have different categories that you can list your products under. So in 2009, Kickstarter created a games category to allow publishers of indie games to kickstart their products. And this included any type of game, video game, board game, role playing
0: game, miniatures game. Gaming hardware, mobile games. I have the list right here. Playing cards, puzzles, um, live games, tabletop games, and video games.
1: And so from 2009 until. April 16th, 2019, they have raised over a billion dollars for those games on Kickstarter. So, yes, that is including a variety of other things like puzzles and video games, but that is a pretty good chunk of change that is coming from crowdfunding for four games and a lot of those games are board games. They say here that they have given they have had three point two million games backers and have funded seventeen thousand projects. Oh my gosh.
0: So I am so I'm actually on the Kickstarter main page, Josh. Mm-hmm. Um I found a funny little button um on the bottom that says stats mm-hmm. and it pulls up the data on how much Kickstarter has actually like generated over time. So we just talked that games made up just just they just hit a billion in essentially ten years, which is incredible success great job. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, there's a guy named Luke Crane who oversees the games area of kickstarter uh luke crane if, if you're uh, if you've ever been in dabbling in role-playing games you may have heard that name because he came up with the burning wheel system for uh, role-playing games and then he is also the creator of the mouse guard role-playing game which is mouse guard's a phenomenal role play uh, not role-playing but a phenomenal graphic novel i've read all of it it's wonderful essentially you are mice and you have swords and bows and arrows and your mice scale oh it's awesome um but he made it into a role playing game and it's fantastic. Um but Kickstarter overall um has brought in 4.2 billion dollars. Since it since it became a thing. And so we you just said Josh that Kickstarter has now brought in a billion from games alone. Um and so that's a quarter of its total net generation. Um Overall, there's been 44,545 launched projects, and this is just insane. The, we're currently live right now, Josh, there's $12.45 million pledged to games, and games are making up 38.57% of the uh, entire population of Kickstarter. No, that's the success rate. I'm sorry. The success rate is thirty-eight point five seven. So one in three games just over, or almost yeah, one in three games are is are being successful on this. That's just incredible.
1: Yeah, I they they've done a really great job. I would I would love to see, and I, I know that at this point is probably impossible for Kickstarter to run these statistics, but I would be really interested to see them break out <laughs> tabletop versus virtual. But Mm -hmm. I think that, I mean, to give kind of some context here for what I'm seeing on this article, you know, this is from Kickstarter. The company is publishing this information. And then at the end of their article, they say, here are a few live campaigns running right now. And of the five campaigns they mention... Three of them are... One is a uh, VR game. One of them is a computer sim. And the other three are board games. Um, One of which we've talked about in the past, which is Rome. And then the other two being Oceans and Blood on the Clock Tower, um, which I know less about. But, I mean, they're even highlighting some of their current running as being board games or tabletop games
0: and several of the ones that they cite in the article for the success are board games so you've got exploding kittens which mm -hmm. you can buy everywhere now Um, but that was a $20 game they they made over $8 from that one project alone. And then Kingdom Death Monster, which I think the average pledge was over $700 for that game because it's incredible quality for the miniatures. You do have to assemble them all, but people love that game. And so I think it's just really cool that essentially Kickstarter has been this, oh my gosh, hold on, I need to just stop everything I'm saying. So I just clicked on another link they had in that article, Josh and it says mm-hmm. how 2018 was a world wrecking record, record-breaking game year four games on Kickstarter my apologies and the first thing they have up there is the Trogdor success banner <laughs> <laughs> so if if those of you who ever know like a home star runner that old like TV, TV show, but it was on computers. You'd log on and watch Strong Bad read emails. Um, they came out with a board game earlier this year that had even Wormwood level components, which is just nuts um, for Trogdor the Burninator. And so they actually referenced the first thing you see about the success of games is Trogdor um, and this board game that came out for everybody. So that's just incredible. I think it just speaks to everything we're talking about.
1: Absolutely. I. I'm really, really, really happy. I think that the the takeaway from all of these articles that we're talking about and, and the success of this industry and, and Kickstarters in general I think it A it's a great time to be a gamer. Mm-hmm. Um there's never been a better time in history to to start playing board games and there's just so much content out there it's impossible for us to keep up with everything that's happening and all the games that are going on and you know my board game shelf continues to overflow with games that i want to play more of and and just don't have the time for
0: yeah, and I think I'm, I'm interested to see what history is going to say about this period. And like, I feel like it's going to have a name, like a golden age or something like that. Like, it's going to have a term. But like Joe Josh just said, there are so many things coming out. Um, that's why it's so critical for um, content and for you to be consuming content and us being able to put out content. So that way you can make informed decisions because there's just so much to stay in tune with right now. Um, but Josh is absolutely right. This is a wonderful time. So we're just so thankful that we get to do this. Um, I think Josh, this is going to be the perfect place to bring this to a close sadly listeners, but we look forward to talking more real, real soon. Um, so Josh, I'm going to kind of kick us off. All right. Yeah. All right. So, again, my name is Bruce Brown, and you can find me on Board Game Geek as Bruce Brown. Thank you so much for listening to Board Game Impact. I hope that learning uh, about what experiences are, are going on for us makes a positive impact on your gaming group and does help you learn information that will really benefit you and your game group. You can learn more about us by visiting the website boardgameimpact.com. If you'd like to have a topic to discussed, please email us at boardgameimpactgmail.com. At Follow us on Instagram or Facebook, which are Board Game Impact. And so I have a quick note right here. If you want to know any more about the games we have discussed on the website, you can click on a part of it that says Games and Gear, in which we list all the games that we've talked about in the episodes, as well as if you're a podcaster or just always curious about what equipment we have, all of that equipment is also on there. And so every uh, purchase that does go through there does help fund the show so we can keep getting more and more content out to you. That being said, we want a quick shout out to our phenomenal Patreon backers. So Patreon is a crowdfunding source just like Kickstarter, except it's ongoing. And so if you want to learn more about our phenomenal Patreon backers and get to see some of the content that they are helping us create, go to patreon.com slash boardgameimpact. If you are headed to Board Game Geek Spring in Dallas, that's going on over Memorial Day weekend, please let us know. So that way... Um, we can play games with you. Josh is not going to be able to make it, but I will be there. Um, so please let me know. I am looking forward to playing games with you. Um, the website for Patreon, again, is patreon.com boardgameimpact. Um, please do take a moment at the end of this episode, just click share. Um, please share this information with your friends, so that way uh, we can increase uh, other people getting to see this content listen to this content and just make that impact. Uh, Please do rate the show and the podcast. So if you're not able to make a financial contribution, that's completely okay. Um, But if you would just take that moment to click share or to rate it in the iTunes store or in Spotify or wherever you're listening to this, that would just greatly mean a lot to us. So that way more people can get this content because that's what we're here to do. Just get good content out to people. Um, Josh, do you have any closing words for all listeners?
1: Once again, listeners, thank you so much for tuning in, listening to us talk, uh, giving us this opportunity to share our thoughts with you. I really do hope that you take something away from this uh, or at least uh, don't mind listening to us uh, talk about things that we really do love from time to time. Thank you once again.
0: And uh, listeners, we hope that you have an amazing rest of your day today Uh, but until next time play some games and go have a positive impact on the world thanks